You know, something that Pastor Tyler taught last week really impacted me. And he talked about these three things specifically out of the Word of God where there's a proclamation that says, you're unaware. I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be ignorant of these facts. Do you remember that from last week? Steamer always. Praise God for you, Steamer. Yeah, there was three things that he talked about. One of them was, Paul, see, he's saying this because it's an important truth he wants us to take in. And whenever you hear something like, I don't want you to be unaware or ignorant of this, the reality is it's going to be a spiritual battle to not be unaware or ignorant of that truth. That's why he notes it. And one of them was, he goes, I don't want you to be unaware or ignorant about the future of Israel. Do you remember that? The future of Israel. You say, well, why is that so important for us? We're Gentiles. Most of us are. Why is that so important that we are, that we are fully understanding God's plan of redemption for the nation of Israel? Here it is. Because God is an ultimate promise keeper. Amen. It's an ultimate promise keeper. He's made promises to Israel that have yet to be fulfilled. And, and so some people would say, well, no, no, the church has replaced Israel. Those promises no longer apply. Well, guess what? If that's true, that shakes my faith. Because you know what? I have failed God. But, but he says, I am faithful. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so God said that to Israel, his chosen people. We are his chosen people if we've been born again, and he will never leave us nor forsake us. So that's an important truth for us as Gentiles to hold on to, that there's yet to be fulfilled promises for Israel. The the second one that Tyler talked about, he talked about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Paul boldly says, I don't want you to be unaware of this. I don't want you to be ignorant of this future return of Jesus. When he comes and the the dead are raised first and then those others are raised and we're glorified and we go into this new heaven and new earth. He goes, I don't want you to be unaware of this. Why is that so important that we hold on to that? It's hard here. This is a hard life to live faithfully for Jesus. But so we have to hold on to this reality that it won't be long for, for any of us before we're with Jesus in glory. We're in the eternal kingdom of God. This world is temporary. And the third thing he said, and he puts it into the same category, I don't want you to be unaware or ignorant of this thing called spiritual gifting that God has poured out upon the church. And that's what we're focused on the next few weeks here. And so we'll talk about why why that is so critical for us to, to understand. Now let me just set this up. Now, some of you already attended. We had a multiple-week training on spiritual gifting and the Bible study, but uh, we'll we'll touch on some of that today. But we'll we'll be flying at about 40,000 feet, just kind of giving you some basic uh, understanding of this. First, I would say that to create some clarity here is that everyone, believers and unbelievers, are born with some natural gifts. Are you with me on this? Every believer and unbeliever, their first birth gifts, they're given some natural skills and abilities. Some are given the gift of intellect. Some are given the gift of artistic uh, creativity. Some are given the gift of being able to mechanically incline and work with their hands. And on and on, there's this whole list of natural gifting that both believers and unbelievers are given. Now, one of the challenges, as, you'll no- as you note, in the world, that if someone excels with a a strong natural gifting, what can happen to them? Let's take, thank you. Thank you, Robin. So what, what happens to, someone, say someone's very gifted athlete or musician, the temptation is they, they become prideful and they become independent and they become judgmental of others. They, they, they put themselves on a pedestal and they start to look down on others. And what else happens is they start to, to really take in worldly treasures because of their gift. They're, they're rewarded by the world for this gift, and they, they begin to love worldly treasures. And they love the applause of man. Now, the re, that's first birth gifts, but then for all those that are born again, they are giving a supernatural spiritual gift that we're going to talk about today. And really, I just set the stage for you. In Corinth, what was happening is you wouldn't think this, but just like first birth gifts, second birth gifts can lead you down that same trail of pride. Someone gets, and some of them, they were more public. 
say someone was a good speaker or preacher, or they were exhorter or teacher, or someone, a big one, was speaking in tongues. And these were more externally evident gifts versus service and encouragement and mercy and other gifts. And so they took this upon themselves and they started elevating self again, becoming prideful and beginning to love the applause of, of the church. And it let him down. That's what Paul's really addressing here in this, in, this, in this issue of spiritual gifting. So that's what we'll be looking at is the temptation of pride and really what God's desire is for us in giving us these, these spiritual gifts. I would say one of the amazing things that I want you to, I want to encourage you with this, it's an amazing truth, is that is that as we're looking at spiritual gifting, is that there's nobody the same. There's nobody. That, that's why all these tests that churches put out, these batteries of tests, never really work well. If you've taken them all, you'll find out that either you have every spiritual gift or you have none. It's just it's an amazing thing as these tests go through. So because the reality is that I want you to hold on to this, is that nobody has the same first birth gifts that you do. Nobody has the history. You have your own history, your own family, your own upbringing, your own life experiences. And all this comes into play in exactly how God is forming you and making you into the man or woman of God you are. And then you get saved and he dumps this supernatural gift on you. And I believe there's one primary motivational gift that we all received, but we might also receive minor gifts and gifts can come and go within us depending on seasons of ministry. So the whole idea is that if you look at any one of us, even though we might have the same first natural gift skill set, not exactly the same, we don't have the same second birth gifting as either. So there's nobody quite like you. You are a poema, as it says in, in the Greek, it's you're a masterpiece created in God, and God has a specific assignment, a specific work based exactly on how he has designed you. Be encouraged by that. No one can step into your calling. You are all called to ministry. You're all carried to, called to carry out the Great Commission. And nobody can fill in for you. Because no one is made exactly like you. So I would say, I want you to, this is exciting to me, surprisingly, probably to you. I'm excited about the Word of God. But I, I'm excited because I want you to grasp the big picture of spiritual gifting. Because there's two primary reasons God's given us uh, spiritual gifts. Why, why would he... After we're born again, why would he give us this supernatural gifting? What's the purpose of it? The first one is to authenticate the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. He's given us this gift so that we're different than the world, that we become bright lights, we become ministers of reconciliation, we become ambassadors for Jesus Christ, and in this, this supernatural gifting within us shines brightly to the world and says, Jesus is the Son of God. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. It's a bold proclamation of who Jesus is. The second reason He gives us a spiritual gift is so that we can become a true family of God. See, it's unity and diversity. We're all different, as I just said, and it is impossible in the flesh for us to live as we do as a family of God. And you know that because you were all unsaved at one point and you knew it was impossible to get along. You knew that there was one person that was the most important person in your life who was me. And other people were second, third, fourth. And, and so we know that in the flesh it was impossible to live in unity, especially if you look in this church, we are a very diverse church. We are very diverse, and I love that about our church. And I'm, I'm talking about education, finances, I'm talking about backgrounds, I'm talking about nationalities. You look at, there's just many, many layers of how we are different as a, as a body. And see, he gave us a spiritual gift so that we could live in unity within our diversity. And by the way, that is one of the ways the world knows that Jesus is the Son of God. That people come in, we have visitors, they, they come in and say, wow. These people are also different, but they love you. I see the love of Jesus in them. They, they really, they're not just here to, oh, good morning, God bless you. Let's do service, walk out the door, see you next week. No, we're involved in each other's lives. There's so much stuff going on every week, I couldn't even tell you all the things going on. People in need, people helping people in need. 
different ministries of people in here. It's amazing what goes on in this little church. And so when they come in, that's what should be the overwhelming, not the, the confronting issue of the gospel, but they see the gospel lived out within this body of believers. So those are the two main reasons he's given this gift, to, to undeniable proof that Jesus is the Son of God, and second, so that we can live out this supernatural life to be a bold testimony to the lost world. And with that, if you'd open your Bibles, let's get into the text for this morning. We are going to pick up, surprisingly, right where we left off, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 is where we begin. And our, our dear brother Charles is going to come speak because we do talk about tongues today, so I thought we'd have a little Scottish, uh, you know, tongue today. So if you please stand for the reading of God's Word and reverence for God's Word, and excuse me, let me put this up here for you. Sorry, Charles. There you go. Here's... Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Charles. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this body of believers. We cry out to you this morning. We pray that you would speak to us powerfully through your word by your spirit. We pray that you would change us from the inside out and make us more into the men and women of God you desire us to be. We love you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's, let's work through this together, brothers and sisters. Now, again, I've shared this with you before. I'm going to share with you a form, one, of the, one of the ways we can approach spiritual gifting. There's, not all theologians agree on this. There's differing opinions. This is the one that I found makes the most sense, and many theologians support this belief of how to approach the spiritual gifts, and that's the way I'm going to approach it with you. Uh, one of the breakthroughs in Mary and my life was in 2001. We went through life purpose ministry analysis. Out of, it's out of Arizona. It's a battery of testings, and they take this approach, and it helped us to have clarity within our spiritual gifting. And those that didn't attend our workshop, our, our Wednesday night Bible study on this, it, the way it approaches is there's seven primary motivational gifts, seven primary motivational gifts, and then within that, there's multiple ways God calls us to serve in the kingdom. Those are called ministries. And the third thing is there's something called outcome. And the outcome is determined by God. So that's the way it is. There's three groups. I've got a little PowerPoint slide in your handout. But we're going to work through it. And that's the way I'm going to approach this because this is the way it's made most sense to me. Is this the only way to interpret spiritual gifts? No. no. Thank you. It is not. But... Because I'm telling you it's the best way it must be. <laughs> kidding, kidding. So here it says, now so, and here's, the, here's the layout for this belief in, in these first few verses. Because you see now, now there are a variety of gifts but the same spirit. Do you see that? Yeah. Variety of gift but the same spirit. Again, I believe there's seven primary motivational gifts that are given to us by the Holy Spirit. And again, as I've already said, not everybody's going to be exactly the same. <laughs> So it, it gives us a general motivation of ministry in life, and I'll explain that in more detail. But first we see there's a variety of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit. By the way, this issue of, of spiritual gifting has been debated since the foundation of the church. There's a number of lists, which I'm not going to go over. We don't have time today to go into the other scripture, but the reality is none of the lists are the same, which makes it more difficult. The lists are different. So that's why I think this makes the most sense, and we'll, we'll look at it. 
And, and the seven motivational gifts, by the way, are, are uh, the exhortation, they call it prophecy or exhortation. Another one is teaching. A third is leadership. A fourth is service. A, a fifth is mercy. A, a sixth is giving or generosity. And the seventh one is encouragement. Those are the seven primary motivational gifts uh, that drive each one of us. Typically, each of us has one. Now, who does it say gives these gifts? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. I want you to see this. Now, look at the next verse here, the next part of the verses. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Do you see that? And what that's talking about, there's a, there's a variety of ministries that we are called to. And you notice this is so beautiful. If you've not looked at this verse before, we find the Trinity here. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives the gifts. Jesus Christ, the Lord, is the one that calls us into different ministries, and the outcome is determined by God the Father. Isn't that amazing? We see the Trinity. That's how important this thing is to us, is the whole Trinity is engaged in this issue of spiritual gifting within the body of Christ. So, for example, so there's many ministries that we can be called to, even though we might have the same primary motivational gift. Are you with me on this? So let's just take... um, the gift of teaching, for example. You might have been given the primary motivational gift of teaching. By the way, to, to wrap your mind around this, when it's called a motivational gift, it's kind of a driving force of your life. You're always teaching someone something. You love to teach. You love to go through the process of explaining things in great detail. And I've given you all lists of, of a number of qualifications to determine what gift you have. But, so that's the, that's the drive in your life. But someone may, Jesus, who is, by the way, the head of the church, right? So he may call some with the motivational gift of teaching to teach children. He may call some of the women to teach other women. Biblical. He may call men to be teaching men one-on-one. They're more comfortable in that discipleship teaching role. Others may be called to larger group teachings or even to be a pastor. You have the gift of teaching. But the point is, I want you to see that there's a primary motiva- motivational gift, and there's seven of them, and then what happens is God may call us into different ministries. Also, I would say, is that you're not called to one ministry for a lifetime. Many times, he'll move you with, with your motivational gift into multiple ministries over your life, right? Amen. I've shared with you countless times, I started in children's ministry, in the men's marketplace ministry, and... I believe this is my last calling is to be a pastor of a church. But it was always my primary motivational gift is exhortation. And in every one of those contexts, the way I worked with whatever whatever ministry he called me to was with that primary gift of exhortation. Are you with me on all this? So first, the Holy Spirit gives the gifts. Then the Lord Jesus calls us into a variety of ministries within the church. What's the matter, Kaji? That's my grandson, so he get you know, first place of ministry is to the family. If he's crying, then I'm crying, see. So then the third truth here is that there are varieties of activities by the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Do you see that? So this word activities means outcomes, the outcomes of our ministry. All right, do you see this whole thing? Are you guys getting the big picture here? Primary motivational gift given by the Holy Spirit. Ministries, variety of ministries. Lots of different ministries that the Lord Jesus, as the head of the church, calls us to. And then the outcomes of our ministry are determined by God the Father. Right? So, so maybe, you know, you're, maybe you know this in your own life. Was there, did you hear the gospel more than once in your life? Yeah, you, you, most of us probably heard the gospel more times than we can even count. But the reality is there was a point in time where God the Father determined on that day, at that hour, in that sharing of the gospel that you would be saved. He is sovereign. So, so the outcomes are determined by God the Father. Also, you know, when we preach or teach, what happens in the body of Christ is there's many outcomes that take place in the body of Christ. Who's determining that? Some of you are sitting here getting different impacts by God the Father based on a message that's being preached. He's the one that determines it. And I tell you all this to get this around your head and mind, is that, is, let me get to the next verse. So you got it to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit in this ministry. And then look what it says next here. And each is given manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Put it this way. 
So if the Holy Spirit gives us a spiritual gift, and Jesus, as the head of the church, calls us into ministry, and as we're faithfully obeying that, God the Father determines the outcome, what can we possibly be prideful in? Nothing. We, that, that's what's going on in Corinth. I'm going back to the context of this scripture. As they were being prideful, and we can never be prideful because it's all God. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit doing all these things in us and through us. So there's nothing we can be prideful in. And the idea here, he's given it to us, going back to one of the primary purposes of spiritual gifting, is for the common good. The common good of the body. To help one another. To build one another up. To equip one another. To encourage one another. And if you look at all those seven gifts, we need all of them actively being engaged in the body of Christ, all seven of those, for the church to be a healthy church. Do you ever need mercy? Do you ever need encouragement? Do we ever need generosity in your life? Do we need leadership? Teaching? Exhortation? We need them all. And so they all have to be active in the body all the time for the church to be healthy. And it's an amazing thing is that why, why Paul is stressing, I don't want you to be ignorant about this truth, is this is the way the church becomes the church. If you are not all engaging in your spiritual gifting by the power of the Spirit through the calling of Jesus Christ, trusting in God for the outcome, the church will not be the church. It's a social club. As my brother Al says, unfiltered. Let me just give you another illustration of this outcome thing a bit. So, Pastor Tyler or myself, or whatever, you might be even in your devotion time, but in in a church setting when the word is preached, here are some of the things that typically happen on a Sunday morning because... I hear them because people come up and talk to me about what's happening because God's at work in this place. Sometimes people get a word of knowledge, which we'll talk about today. They get a new truth, a truth they didn't really, they've never seen in the scripture before. It's a new truth for them. Or maybe it's a deepening of an existing truth they had from the word. They get a a word of knowledge from, from God. It's an outcome. Others may get a word of wisdom. Maybe they're sitting here on a Sunday and they're struggling with some situation in their life and they're not sure what they should do. Through the faithful preaching of the Word, some Sundays the Word comes out to them, and they, ah, there it is. Have you ever been there? The Word speaks to us, and you know exactly what you need to do about a certain life situation. There's other times where people are sitting here, and they're very discouraged. They've had a hard week. Their their faith is weak, and they're struggling. And the Word of God comes out, and God the Father determines the outcome in their life, and they're encouraged by the preaching of God's Word. Right? One more. Others come here and they're living in sin. They're believers, but they're living in sin in their life. And as the word is preached, they're convicted by the word of God and they, they confess their sins and they repent. So that's a picture. And all the time the preacher, whoever he may be, is just faithfully preaching the word of God because God has given him, the, uh, the Holy Spirit's given him the gift. Jesus Christ has called him to the work and he's trusting that God the Father will have the outcome that's needed in a, in a, in a daily basis. Amen? So that's a picture of those. That's the framework. So let's go through some of these gifts, and then we'll all speak in tongues at the end. (laughs) Kidding. So it says here, this is just a list, kind of mechanically we'll go through this a little bit, but it says, the one is given the spirit of utterance of wisdom and to another utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. Now, these, these to me are not spiritual gifts. These are outcomes of the gift. And I just got done explaining to you how that works within the context of the church. So an outcome means that God determines an outcome. And Paul's talking about the most significant process of us in the spiritual gifting. This is, this is how we get built up in our spiritual gifting and our faith and all the rest of it in the spiritual gifting world is that we need to be sitting under the Word of God. Not just in church on Sunday, not just on Wednesday night. All of us, if we want to really fully engage in our spiritual gifting, 
we have to be men and women of the word of God. This is where the empowering, this is, you know, the, the Holy Spirit is, is the very spirit of God and the tools he uses in our life is the word of God. So if you're not giving him the tools within you, the word of God, and you're, that means you're probably conforming to the world versus being transformed by the renewing of your mind, you become ineffective and unproductive for the kingdom of God because he has no ammunition that lives within you. Are you with me on this? And so then there's the next step, though. You have to go from the word of knowledge to the word of wisdom, and the word of wisdom is the application of the knowledge of God's word in your life. You have to go from information to transformation. You have to take the word and not just know the word, but start to live the word practically in your lives. Does that make sense? And that is the call. That is the, that's why Paul starts here in my belief. He starts here because this is really the process and the power of living this life of utilizing your spiritual gift within the context of the church. You know, if, if any pastor comes up to a pulpit and he is not soaked in the word and prayer throughout the week, He's empty power-wise. He, he, he's just making a speech which is ineffective and unproductive for the kingdom of God. It has to be something that's been driven through prayer and study and meditation and their own brokenness in the process before it becomes an effective sermon. I could give you a great speech every week, very worldly, and you'd leave your, woo! That was great. You know what they call those in the Bible? Ear-tickling. Waste of time. I'd rather you leave here mad at me than, than filled with some ear-tickling message. What did, what did you say about Tyler? He doesn't want? <laughs> what was the word, Tyler? Oh, you don't remember. Okay. Well, we, we're, uh, that, that's the serious number. That's why he starts with this. I thought, no, that was another word used. It was really good, though. Yeah. I can't remember. It'll come to me. No nonsense. There we go. Tyler's a no-nonsense kind of preacher. He's not an ear tickler. Praise God for that. So this is the first, this is an outcome of God, and it comes faithfully to us who study, read, and uh, listen to the teaching of God's Word. Then he goes to this one, to, a, to another, uh, faith by the same Spirit. Do you see that? Faith by the same Spirit. What's he talking about there? That's another outcome, by the way. Faith is an outcome that God the Father generates in the born-again believers. It isn't a spiritual gift, per se. First of all, I pray all of you have experienced saving faith, right? There was a moment in your life, I pray, that you realized your own depravity and God's holiness and goodness and righteousness, and there was this brokenness. You were poor in spirit, and you mourned over your sinfulness, and you surrendered your life to Jesus. That is called saving faith. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. That's God's gift to us. It's a gift that he gives us, which empowers us to believe, right? We couldn't have believed if God didn't open our eyes to our own depravity and his holiness. That is the gift of saving faith. But then there's living faith, right? Now, if I told you today we're going to meet at a small airport, we're going to get into a single prop plane, we're going to fly to the remote jungles of some country, and we're going to land, and all you've got on your, all you need is your Bible and your backpack, and we're going to go into the jungle, and we're going to talk to these tribes that have never heard the gospel before. Are you all ready for that? I don't think many people are going to show up in the parking lot. Now, my point is, is that, not that some of you probably will, praise God, but the point is, is that there's a process of building living faith in our life. It doesn't happen automatically. It's an outcome of a faithful life of surrender to Jesus. And so as we faithfully, again, the word of God and the wisdom applying knowledge, our living faith is built up. And I'm sure all of you, I pray, you are now bolder and, and more filled with living faith than you were a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. There's, this, there's this, this increased boldness of you of knowing who God is, that he is sovereign, he is loving, he is good, he is kind, he is for you, he will never leave you. And, and you, do, you no longer have the fear of man you once had. You now fear God more than you did man. That's living faith. That, that's the ability to do things, go places, say things for a new boldness of God because you have faith, living faith. And it's built up over time. It's also built up in the trials of our life, right? As we go through trials, we're, we're, we struggle, right? We struggle, God, why is this happening? Yet we're trusting in God. And those trials also refine us. And on the other side, I pray, we become more faithful. 
So that, that's an outcome of a, of a life. Paul said, you know, word of God, word of wisdom, apply the knowledge, and your faith should be growing. It's an outcome by God the Father in our lives. I think of people like Mad, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I think of Daniel in the lion's den. I think of Paul in the shipwreck. Where did they get that faith? They got, when you look at their lives, they got that faith by being men of the word of God and living the word of God faithfully day by day. So when they got to that trial of God, that test of their faith, they were able to withstand it. We'll skip this thing about healing. No, we won't. I want you to notice something about the healing gifts. There, you know, okay, there's, now we're going to get into some very touchy areas of the church, the miraculous sign gifts. I normally would leave this for Pastor Tyler, but I'm going to take it on this morning. But this gift of healing by the one spirit. See, now there's, there's, let me just tell you how the church typically works. There's one group over here that overemphasizes tongues and healing and all these miraculous things that happen in the Bible, right? It's, it becomes their, that's the dogmatic doctrine of the church. Are you with me on that? Then on the far other side of the church is these people that are total sensationalists that think that none of these things could possibly happen anymore because this was only to authenticate the apostles. And, and once they were authenticated and the word of God was finished, these all things were dead. And I tend to be somewhere right about here in the middle. And I'll tell you why. Now, look, if you look at this scripture, it says the Spirit gives gifts of healing. It's plural. Gifts. Not a gift of healing. It's gifts of healing. And if you look at the, um, the outcomes, it, it, the outcome is also plural. So there's multiple types of healings, and there's multiple types of afflictions that God addresses with his healings. Are you with me? How about a big amen? amen. Okay. So that, that's what he's talking about here is there's these, these various... Uh, gifts, uh, types of healing. These are, again, outcomes, not necessarily seven motivational gifts. You don't find the gift of healing as a motivational gift. You will find it in the ministry, and you'll find it in the outcome. Okay? So, um, let's talk about it for a minute. How does it work in today's church? Now, let me just say, on this side of these people, absolutely, there was, there, the apostles were given incredible power by the Holy Spirit, and it was absolutely an authenticating work of God to say, these guys are really of God. And does this happen anymore? You find it in the missionary field. Today in our day, when missionaries go to places where they've never heard of God before, and these missionaries go there, you, you read the Book of Martyrs, you read different books about those that are in the missionary field, and you will see, and we at Moody, when I was at Moody, I got the pleasure of being with a lot of missionaries that were coming back for training, and I would hear their stories. And these stories reminded me of the New Testament. They, God was powerfully doing miracles around them to authenticate to these lost tribes that these guys were really of God. Because, by the way, in these same tribes, Satan and the demonic army were also creating miracles, just like we see with Moses in Egypt, that they were able to do distorting uh, miracles that were deceiving these tribes. So these missionaries came in and God powerfully did things in them and through them to authenticate that they were of Jesus Christ. So that, that still does happen. But also, you know, I've shared this with you before, there's many churches that have healing ministries. It's a ministry within the church. And what are they doing within these ministries? Praying. They're praying ministries. They're praying ministries. You know, Brooklyn Tabernacle has a huge healing praying ministry for, for, the, for the, the body of Christ. In fact, for fact, David Jeremiah, he, he knew about it, and when he had cancer, he sent the request to Brooklyn Tabernacle's healing ministry to pray for him, that he would be healed. My sister, who, who is in San Diego, a strong believer, she just moved to Arizona, but when she was in San Diego, and I've told you this story before, she was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And, and I went out there and talked to the doctor, and I said, Doc, we want to know the truth. And he goes, maybe four months, no more than six months. The cancer spread throughout her body. Really, there's no, there's no solution to this. So her church, with her praying ministry, they prayed for healing. And my sisters get choked up here. 
So my sister's prayer was she had adopted a child, and her prayer was, could God spare her? Don't start crying, Ann. <laughs> so would God spare her so she could raise this adopted child? That was her self. She was a, she's a strong believer. She wasn't looking for a long life. She, her, her daughter was in junior high. She just wanted to live long enough to get her through, through high school. And God honored that prayer. I got to tell you this one. I know I've told you before. but So I went back to the doctor and he said, he goes, we can't explain this, but the cancer's gone. I said, well, I can explain it. You got a couple minutes? It's called Jesus Christ. That's, what, that's the solution. Now, so does God heal everyone that is prayed for for healing? No, of course he doesn't. Just like we see in Paul's ministry. Paul couldn't even heal himself. He couldn't feel some of his favorite disciples. He doesn't heal everybody all the time, but sometimes God does heal. And by the way, did this church have the, the miraculous power of healing? No, they had the miraculous power of prayer. Amen. The healer has always been, the outcome is determined by who according to this? God the Father. God the Father appealed through Jesus Christ, who is our advocate before the throne of grace, and he talks to dad, and sometimes dad says yes, and sometimes dad says no. In both cases, the, the result is perfect love, perfect outcome, according to his perfect plan. Some he wants to get home and get busy up there. Some he wants to stay here because they're not done with their job. And my sister, by the way, that was 20 years ago. She's still alive. And what's amazing is her husband died prematurely after that, and she sees now that God has kind of isolated her and made her this, gave her a special season of ministry where she could pour her life out for Jesus without a husband and without her child now. So anyway, God does still heal, and physically, which is what everybody likes to talk about, but it talks about a variety of healings. What about emotional healing in the church? Is that something we might need? Someone's, someone on a Sunday who's been badly hurt, betrayed, abused, suffering a great loss of a loved one, they come into the church, they don't need physical healing, but they need emotional healing. There's different types of healings, it says. There's also emotional healing. See, and, and some within the church that have a gift by God can come alongside of these people and really minister them with the word of God and pray with them and help them overcome their emotional struggle and suffering and discouragement, right? Yes. Amen? So, and, and by the way, even people that are physically suffering sometimes, they're also struggling emotionally and spiritually. So, so the healing is not just physical. The church is too worldly to me because it's always physical. There's emotional healing that needs to take place, deep-rooted emotional hurts and pains that need to be addressed by the Word of God through prayer. And the last one I'd say is spiritual. People need spiritual healing. People come to church on Sunday and they are struggling with sin in their lives and they don't want to tell anybody. They need to tell somebody. They need to come clean. They need to bring it in the light so that we can pray together and minister to you and help you get healed from your deception and your sinful patterns in your life. So to me, spiritual healings is the outcome of God. It always was the outcome of God. And he does it multiple ways within the body of Christ, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. That's what I believe. And to another working of miracles. I already talked about that. The working of miracles we primarily see in the mission field. But let me ask you this. Have you been born again? I can't think of a greater miracle of God than being born again. You guys are, not, you know, no big deal. It's just another day. I mean, come on. Does God do miracles anymore? I love what Billy Graham says. He doesn't do any less. God is doing the same amount of miracles he's always done. He's always doing miracles. But we, we think of back to the early church. Well, they're walking around. They're the blind see and the lame walk. Well, now people are being born again. They're being saved for eternity. They're not just being able to walk and run and see. They're getting saved for eternity. I, I'm not really, to be honest, I'm not really interested in seeing fire from heaven or any of these other things or the red part, the sea parted. That doesn't do anything for me. The great thing I see is some of you get born again. I see the changes in you. I see the new life in you. Oh, but no, we want to see the lame walk. We, you know, we got to have a ministry of bringing people back from cancer. We should have prayer ministries to support these people that are suffering. 
But the reality is the miracle that we're mostly involved in is the miracle of salvation, which is an eternal miracle, not a temporal one. Am I the only one fired up about this? Come on, steamer, get fired up over there. Okay, we're getting there. We're doing good. Now he gets into an actual motivational gift the, uh, to another prophecy. Here's another deception. Always tend to think, especially those that are bent to a certain way, they think a prophecy is what? Fourth telling the foretelling, the future, telling the future. Do you know when that be, this word became defined that in the church? Middle Ages. Middle Ages is when prophecy, the word prophecy, was turned into a, a predominant telling of the future. Now, did the original Old Testament prophets foretell the future? Yes. Did they proclaim the word of God that the people had not received yet for the first time? Yes. But if you look at the prophets, the primary work, primary work of the prophets was to teach, exhort, and call people to obedience of the word that already existed. Right? If you, look to, if you read the Old Testament, which I pray you do, you will see that predominantly they're calling them to obedience to the word that they already had been given and teaching them the word that they'd already been given. So does the gift of, the, this is a motivational gift, this is one of the seven, it, another way of saying this is exhortation, the primary work of the church, of those that have this gift now, is to proclaim the word of God, because the word of God is finished. It's finished. Someone to stand up here and says, I have a new revelation from God, false teacher. There is no more revelation from God. It's done. It's in the 66 books that you're holding in your hands. And, and the job of those that have the gift of exhortation is to boldly proclaim what it says and how we should live according to what it says. Amen. Who was the last Old Testament? Who, who was the last prophet? John the Baptist. And, and of course, Jesus is the prophet. But it, that was the end of the dispensation of prophets. There's different dispensations of works in the church, and now it is the church is the dispensation, and we are to proclaim the fully revealed word of God. Amen? Amen. Okay. It says to another, uh, the ability to distinguish gifts. Well, let me show you this. This is just a, another verse to support what, what prophecy is in the New Testament. But one who prophecy speaks to the people of their, for their strengthening, their encouraging, and their comfort. That is why we preach the Word of God, to build them up in the Word of God, to encourage them and to comfort them in this fallen world. So this one is to distinguish gifts between spirits. And here's a verse to support that for you. You're doing great. Look at this. It says, Beloved, beloved do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. How many false prophets? Many. Many, many false prophets. In our little church, we've had many wolves come in with false doctrine and false teaching attacking the church. See, in the, in the history of the church, whenever the church is prosperous and open and free, wolves flourish. Wolves don't like to go into persecuted churches. It, the risk is too high. The devil's a chicken. He's, a, he's weak. He won't go into those markets. But he, go, he loves churches like this where anybody can come in and, and, and worship. And wolves come into these churches and they, and they attack. And, they, and we can tell a false teacher, as this verse says, by their false teaching. It doesn't align with the word of God, right? But also, you will see even with like the slave girl and Paul, sometimes false prophets will come in and they will actually speak the truth. You are children of the most high God, they said to Paul. They will speak the truth sometimes. So God gives us, and now it's not a motivational, but it's a ministry. He gives us the ability to discern when there's an evil spirit in the presence, this is getting kind of Halloweenish here on you now, but it, it gives you this impression, you, you get this sense that something's wrong with this person, I don't believe they're really of Jesus. I think there's something, the alarms go off, are you with me on this? Yeah. This, this is the ministry of discernment that God's calling you to. And by the way, brothers and sisters, that don't, don't discount that. If you're talking to someone in this church and those antennas are going up, you need to go to leadership. 
He doesn't always work through us in those things. He may work through you. He may alert you that someone in here is in here to sow seeds of ill and do some damage. You need to bring it to leadership so we can lovingly sit down with that man or woman and talk to them to find out exactly where they're at. So don't push that off. Don't think someone else is going to do it. If God revealed it to you, you need to bring that to leadership because the wolves are many in the body of Christ. So that's the issue of discernment. Now we get another easy one here. Various kinds of tongues. So what does the Word of God say about tongues? I'll let Tyler handle that in chapter 14 of Corinthians. Oh, now let's... <laughs> the, the, the two references to tongues within the Word of God, one is a known language. A known language. You, we know this in, in Peter's first sermon. It's Acts 2, uh, verses 6, 8, and 11. They had people coming in from all different parts of the world uh, to to celebrate Pentecost, and Peter was able to speak and, and speak so that all the people of all these different languages could understand him. Are you with me on this? Yeah. So it's the ability to understand and speak foreign languages by the power of God. God empowered Peter. to. Peter didn't know those languages before, and he didn't go through, was that a stone or anything that didn't exist yet? So it got, But God gave him this spirit-filled deal where he could speak in foreign languages. So that's one reference. Now the other reference, um, the, the Reformed Church doesn't like to talk about, but it's called tongue speech. We find that in 1 Corinthians 14, 2, 4, and 28. And it, it's often referred to as the, as the angelic language, this holy language uh, that's very special given to people to speak directly into the kingdom of God. You okay with that? Does that really exist? Did it exist? You can, we'll get to it when we get to chapter 14 in more detail. But the, the point was, is that it was a private, most people believe it was a private prayer language for people to celebrate between God and themselves. A closet prayer language to God. Have I seen people speaking in tongues? I have. And I can tell you the most times I've seen them speaking in this so-called angelic language, it was a farce. It was an absolute farce. So is it real or it isn't real? I have no idea. We'll dig deeper into it in chapter 14. But the one of speaking in language was actually absolutely prevalent with Peter. And the other one, I have no idea, but we'll get into it. Tyler and I both get into it when we get into chapter 14 and dig deeper into what that means. But we do see the abuse of tongues in the church. It was one of the most abused things. And we hear today in the church the same kind of thing. Some churches will say that you're not saved unless you speak in tongues. Is that biblical? No, it's not biblical. And they would all say, well, you might be saved, but you really, it's, you really haven't reached the higher spiritual reality until you start speaking in tongues. Is that true? No, no. no it's not true at all. There's no, there's that, that is nowhere in Scripture at all about that and speaking in tongues. So it isn't a gift. Tongues would be a ministry, especially with foreign languages. An interpretation of tongues would be a, a ministry that God gives to, to some, and then the outcome would be the interpretation and, and uh, helping people know the truth of God's Word. And then lastly, we'll close with this one, and we'll go over just a few other applications, but all these are empowered by one the same Spirit who apportions each one individually as He wills. So again, brothers and sisters, back to the beginning, gifts are given by the Holy Spirit, we're called to different ministries by Jesus Christ, and the outcome is determined by God, and we see that it's as God wills. And so let me ask you this, is there any minor gifts and major gifts within the body of Christ? No, there isn't. They're all significant. They're all important. If God has given you the gift of service and and you clean the church or whatever God calls you to do, you're doing that for the glory of God. And God has called you, to, he's gifted you in service, he's, he's called you to a ministry, and the outcome will be determined by God as you faithfully obey that calling, whatever it is. And we, we're not going to go to the Corinthian church lies and deception, 
because I stand up here, I have a more significant gift and work for God's kingdom? Absolutely not. This is just my calling and, and what I give to the church. And everything that God's gifted you in and every ministry God calls you to is, is absolutely just as important as what Tyler and the elders and I do. You've got to believe that. It's significant. Okay, let me go over a couple more applications here with you. I've showed you this before. I just want to show you a key application. This is just some, this, this is this dark arrow line is the growth of spiritual maturity over time in a believer's life. Do you see that? And the truth is that if you don't engage with your spiritual gifting, this is what happens to a believer. You see that line going down? Your, your spiritual maturity will stall out if you don't start utilizing your gifts within the church context. It's just a reality. There, there, we, God equips us and gets us ready and builds us up, and we should be serving all the time, and then he reveals a ministry to us, and we say we're too busy. And the guy says, you know, well, I gave you these gifts to use. You're being a bad steward. You, you, you know, you're, you're not being the person that I wanted you to be for the kingdom of God. And what you start to see is you start to wane. You start to... You stop attending church as much. You stop attending Bible studies as much. You stop doing devotions as much because God is empowering you for this life to be part of this common good within the church. It's just a reality. Some of you have probably already experienced it as you've got into different seasons of your life where you weren't faithfully serving the body of Christ. So that's what happens. So I encourage you to all be utilizing your gifts. And by the way, let me tell you this. You don't need to go through testing and... Uh, analysis. Please hear this. God gave you the gift. God wants to reveal the gift to you. Just pray. Pray, God, help me. Help me to know what gift you've given me. I want to serve you, my king. Cry out to him. He will reveal it to you. Show me. And the way he showed it to me is he opened up a ministry opportunity. That's the first thing you'll do is you pray. All of a sudden, someone will say, hey, can you help me with this? Can you do this? Can you join this? That's God calling you. That's Jesus, the head of the church, calling you into ministry where he's going to use your gifts in a specific context. But everybody here should be serving the church somehow. That's the calling. Don't just show up on Sunday and Wednesday. Serve the body. And he'll tell you what, what he wants you to do. Report in. Punch in. And lastly... Is this is the list I've got in your, in your handout. The gifts, those are the primary motivational gifts, prophecy, teaching, serving, encouraging, giving, leadership, and mercy. That is a primary motivational gift that I believe lives within every born-again believer. Service or ministries, you see apostles and prophets, the A apostles, no, uh, Don reached out to me, the, the capital A apostles no longer exist, that was a dispensation. Prophets would be more exhorters of the word of God which does tie into the original prophets and their primary work. We have the ministry of evangelists, pastor-teacher, teachers, working of miracles, which would be a prayer ministry, and same with healing, helping and serving each other, tongues, language, administration for, for leadership. And then the outcomes here are determined by God, a word of wisdom, word of knowledge that comes from the faithful study and preaching and teaching of God's word. Some people, faith grows as an outcome. Some people are healed. There are still miracles in the world by God, especially the miracle of salvation, exhortation, discernment of evil spirits, interpretation of tongues and languages. 